0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, calls for a no-fly zone continue to grow in Ukraine as the war against Russia rages on. Ukrainian lawmaker Mikhailo Zernikov gives us a live update on the war. It's on the podcast. He tells us why the war is getting more brutal and what Ukraine needs from the West and the role of Belarus has in this conflict. Why can't Japanese high schoolers have ponytails? It's a part of Sir Christopher Gilbert's International Dispatch as well as Mike Tyson's new edible cannabis gummies, bizarre stories from around the world. It's all on the shift daily podcast.
2: This is the shift podcast.
1: So I'm going to share good news in the form of gratitude. I've shared this last week and, um, and, uh, I've really been saddled with gratitude in my life over the last week or so. Um, Lots has happened and not to be cryptic. I'm just going to allow that part to be private, but there's been so much that has gone on and I can't help but be left with gratitude and gratitude is one of those strange things that sometimes really bad things happen, yet you can be left with gratitude. It's confusing when that happens. It is good news. For example, um, we connect here on the shift almost every night with someone in Ukraine. Now, we all know that what's happening in Ukraine is dreadful, yet we have learned more about Ukraine and met more amazing human beings in Ukraine because this started. So that's where gratitude kicks in out of tragedy and that becomes confusing at times. Gratitude doesn't have to come from tragedy though. There was a post on the Shift Radio Show Facebook group that stirred some attention that I wanted to read some posts in the spirit of gratitude. Now, the original, it's go to shiftheads.ca. The original post was uh, by Michelle. It's one of those memes. It's a photo of some gas pump prices down in the United States, and it's got a whole bunch of writing on it. So I'm going to read that for you today. So today I stopped and filled up my car and I was thankful. Thankful that I have a car. Thankful that I have money to buy gas and thankful that there are no warplanes flying over me. Thankful that I will be eating soon thankful that all of my loved ones are safe and sound thankful that I live in a country where I have the freedom to do so many things thankful that the air I breathe is not filled with smoke and gunpowder thankful that I will sleep in silence and wake up to a beautiful day I think it's time that we all be a lot more grateful thankful and definitely more grateful beautiful wonderful now it does come from circumstance high gas prices So here are some of the posts that came up that inspired me to have this conversation. So thank you, Michelle, for posting that. Linda says, absolutely true. We must be grateful for all we have and especially peace and freedom. Then some people go off on tangents about gas guzzlers and so on. Um, Mary says, so many times growing up with all the negatives in the world, uh, at that time my mother always had a saying, we don't know know we're living. I've grown to see and understand her statement, which I found myself using myself as of late. So of course, people try to get political and make comments about convoys and all those things. Anne Marie says so very, very true. Um, And then Karen says, not even close. We're being ripped off big time because someone is at war and we're supposed to be grateful that we are not. That's the oldest excuse in the book. Now, Karen also is right. You see, one of the one of the secrets of conversation is to go into a conversation understanding that sometimes two people can be right. Jack says, I guess the moral of the story is that things could always be worse, so be thankful. On the flip side of things, however, things could always be better. Even though we're not getting bombed here, there are people who are legitimately struggling in one way or another with how things are evolving in our country. There has always been countries and people who've had things worse than us. I don't think that means we should be satisfied to lower our standards and be content with things here at home just because they're less bad somewhere else. To me, that's like being thankful for having a rat infestation at your house, but at least it's not burning to the ground like your neighbor's is. Very well written, Jack. Thank you. And this is the thing, right? Here's the thing about gratitude. In our righteousness, sometimes we get confused with gratitude and being right. You can't have righteousness and gratitude. They cannot coexist in there because if, if you're going to be righteous, that means somebody has to be wrong. See gratitude. You either have it or you don't. That's what makes it so extraordinary. Being grateful is an incredibly beautiful thing. Being grateful doesn't mean we agree with what's going on. That's not gratitude because agree is disagree. Grateful It's just grateful. Now, some of these comments here on the Facebook page at shiftheads.ca are confusing gratitude as resignation. And this is what I wanted to talk about. Gratitude is not the same as resignation. You see, when you talk about, I'm grateful that we don't have bombs falling on our heads. And some people would say, I'm okay with paying high gas prices. If it means that we don't have bombs falling on our heads, you see, the two are not correlated, but yet for us, they seem to be gratitude, however, is not a free pass for the causation of circumstance. And this is where we get so confused as human beings. Now, forgive me if you find that this is deeply philosophical or too cerebral or whatever, but the point is very simple. You can be grateful that a loved one survived a car crash and still be inspired to change the driving laws or lack of driving laws that caused the crash. You see, you can be grateful that somebody survived the crash, but still go to court and testify that that person ran a red light. You see, gratitude and causation of circumstance are unrelated. In this particular case, when you're talking about the price of gas, there are mountains and mountains of reckless and irresponsible causes of these problems. The problems when it comes to the price of gas are caused by Irresponsible governance, recklessness, and resignation by the government. That's the price of gas. The high price of gas is inflamed by what's going on elsewhere. So gratitude is beautiful. It is distinctly different than resignation, irresponsibility, agreement, and complacency. So yes, you can be grateful that you don't have bombs falling on your head. And you can also not like high gas prices and believe that our government needs to do more. Being grateful is a beautiful thing. And for other people to go shoot holes in one's gratitude because they don't like the price of gas or they don't like the governing party who decided the price of gas, still doesn't affect gratitude. There's no tug of war with gratitude. Gratitude is one of those extraordinary moments that we get to be incredibly present to that happens inside us. And so, yes, I am grateful. I am grateful that my kids are healthy. I am grateful that we have had a week in my family that everybody is okay. Nobody is hurt. There was some surprise in my family this week. And everybody is okay. I am grateful for that. I am not okay with what's going on in Ukraine, but I am grateful to be a Canadian. Distinctly different, not righteous, and frankly, beautiful. Thank you very much for listening to The Shift. I appreciate you being here and being a part of this. I do invite you to get in on conversations like this that do happen at shiftheads.ca. I would rather have them with you on the radio. Absolutely. So feel free to call it in 877-399-9898. Share your good news. And remember, gratitude can actually inspire you to kick some ass. It's powerful and not to be forgotten.
2: This is the shift podcast.
1: News out of Ukraine continues to not let up. The information that we're hearing currently is that the uh, push on Kyiv is getting more and more intense. There has been more shelling, more rockets, and more diplomacy attempts anyway, and definitely more displays of unity with other countries. Joining us now uh, with the De jure Foundation, uh, Mikhail Zernikov. Mikhailo, excuse me, Zernikov is uh, joining us from Ukraine. Mikhailo, are you there?
0: Yes, I'm here. Hi, Shane
1: it's great to hear your voice again my friend it's it's nice to know that uh, that you're still finding your way through your country what an amazing what an amazing country you have there i've learned that that's for sure i was wondering if you could help us understand uh, for those who don't know our conversations with you we do not reveal your location but from the sort of look out your window Mikhailo, can you help us understand uh, your look on ukraine this morning
0: yeah thank you shane thank you for your kind words and thanks for your continued support um, <clears throat> you know we, we we're all following the news um tonight's been uh, or th- this this day and night were uh, quite productive should I say destructive in terms of um destruction of the um enemy forces and i mean our um our armed forces are fighting back very fiercely and uh, very effectively but unfortunately i I have to repeat this we we, we lack um ability to defend in the skies and you know the, the terrorist state of russia is shelling our buildings um they're sending missiles they're bombing the cities they're bombing civilians they're killing people in thousands and that's that's a number one priority right now to close the sky um whatever that means uh even if nato uh, airplanes and if nato doesn't want to send airplanes to shoot down uh russian airplanes they they can they should absolutely provide uh ukraine with the uh, the ability to do that um, ourselves with the, uh, you know, old Soviet-made airplanes with the anti-aircraft, anti-missile uh, systems. So the civilians do not uh, die because this is, a, this is a great problem that we're having right now. And, you know, in the cities of Mariupol, uh, Kharkiv, um, Chernihiv, other cities uh, that are constantly under fire, people are dying each day and that's a disaster.
1: There's no denying that it's a disaster. Um, Mikhail there, I've been trying to think about a way to ask this, the, and I don't know how to do it gently. I don't know how to do it. Um, I don't, maybe it's disrespectful. I don't, I really truly don't know, but there's no other way that I can ask this question. I also don't want to be fear mongering and scare people.
0: Please, but I'm going to ask, him, I mean, you, you've been very gentle, uh, all this time. So, so, uh, You know, just shoot uh, if Uh, if it's it's something. You know, wrong I'll 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 give you feedback. But so far, so far, been the most gentle, please.
1: The amount of rockets and shells that are hitting residential places, citizens. um, The Mariupol, the look of Mariupol. They've been flying drones around and getting some some look there. Like it's as nasty Mm -hmm. as it gets when it comes to that place is just decimated. At what point here do we start talking about Russia's attempt to just erase? Ukraine versus take it over, bring it back to the USSR mentality, all of those things, because it's starting to look more and more. I don't want to use the word like genocide or anything like that, because let's not create something that at least least yet it's not. So I'm going with, is it just starting to appear more and more so like Russia is trying to erase Ukraine?
0: Uh, I, it does appear so because uh, again, they're not winning on land. They're not winning against our armed forces, even though they have, even though they have the overwhelming numbers. Still, I think, but I don't think overwhelming is a, is a good word. They still have a bigger number of people on land, but we are we're showing that we're very successfully, uh, you know, uh, destroying their um, military capabilities, their manpower, their tanks, their airplanes, whatever that is but um again we're still lacking um um air defense and, and missile defense and with that they are because they cannot uh, move any further uh, or cannot move much uh, uh on land they're just shelling and tra- I think you're right you they're trying to erase uh, what's left they're they're bombing uh, not only you know just residential buildings uh they're bombing churches um they're shelling um hospitals they're they're destroying the architecture they're destroying what's dear to us so basically just trying to erase Ukrainians or everything Ukrainian and that is i don't know what's genocide if not deliberate destruction or, or killing of uh people of certain um race or a certain nationality. I mean, I, I'm i not an international lawyer uh, to, to, you know, to discuss these definitions, but I, again, as a citizen and as, you know, as a human being, what is genocide if not this?
1: You are a former judge, and everybody should know that. Judicial reform is a big part yes. of this, so I have a couple of political questions for you. One is about your neighbors to the north. I think that everybody who doesn't know about Belarus and the history of Belarus is that the Belarusian people and please again, Mikhailo, correct me here. Uh, the Belarusian people voted democratically for a government and it was very similar to the, you know, accused or alleged Russian elections where it was kind of like, yeah, you voted this way, but by the way, we've picked a winner. And so there are, from what I've heard, most people, including in an, an opposition still, a, although uh, not that powerful in Belarus, Belarus, that that doesn't represent the Belarusian people. Now, at the same time, Belarus has said, we're not going to invade Ukraine and participate, but they are a proxy. They've been a launching pad for this all along. We've seen in the West now starting to hear some talk about sanctions against Belarus. Here's the thing that I want to know. This is the look that I need from you. If the West starts to apply decimating economic and sanction political sanctions on Belarus, Because Belarus does not have the same control over media, largely the population did not vote for that government. All of those things going on, does that would that be an opportunity that everybody seems to be missing to allow the people of Belarus to stand up for Ukraine or at least to stand against their government in this? Or am I missing something?
0: Uh, I think you're right, Shane. Um, you know, I have a mixed feeling about Belarus being uh, or not being a part of this war. On on one hand, you're absolutely right. they have been a launching pad are They've been, um, you know, the, the, they provided their territory, their capabilities for the Russian army to uh, do to do what they're doing. Uh, on the other hand, we also hear and read reports from Belarus that, you know, the, the, the ground forces do not want to march into Ukraine. And, and that is uh that is good because you know we, we we see them as a as a you know as a neighbor at least and uh, of course it's been deteriorating or or uh you know to to say the least uh, in in the last uh days because we wouldn't want to see that but but we also do not want to kill our our neighbor that with whom we, we never had any you know any negative uh, or much negative uh, um anything, actually. So uh, this, this is really, you know, this is really hurting to, um, again, to see Belarus as part of this war. I think the sanctions should be applied, absolutely, because, you know, they're, they're de facto being, you know, the, providing what they're providing for, for Russia to successfully or to try and successfully uh, invade Ukraine and, you know, p- and making the, the border longer, being, you know, whatever that is. So, um, of course, people of Belarus have to feel that, and uh, uh, absolutely, it, it is. You know, again, the, the state of Belarus is helping Russia. It, it's been a couple of moments in the in recent Belarusian history that you know uh, you, you, you mentioned the elections. It, they were not democratic. You know, the, rec- the recent um, presidential elections were uh, current dictator Lukashenko, whom n- nobody, um, Ukraine included, uh, recognizes as a democratically elected leader. Um, he he supposedly got almost 80% of votes, which, you know, led to pretty much the uprising in, in Belarus, huge protests. Unfortunately, these protests did not lead to the overthrow of the dictator and to, uh, you know, to, to the democratic processes. And we, we we see now this is a direct consequence of, uh, you know, the inability, the unfortunate inability of, uh, again, for the lack of a better word, of, of uh, Belarusian people to change their government. So right now, I think that, that they should kind of, feel and be be nudged to um to do something about it because again um you know something might change in 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 their command or in their moods or their troops and tomorrow we're we'll gonna have a full-scale war against our neighbor with whom we never had any uh, any quarrel which which would be you know another um um recipe or or another um opportunity um uh, for for Opportunity is not the right word. There'll just be a tragedy to, to, you know, thousands and thousands more Ukrainian and Belarusian people will die because one Russian dictator and the Russian people want to to attack Ukrainian people. And that's that would be just sad.
1: It already is sad. Um,
0: It is. It is.
1: Uh and you know Mikhailo, I just you know I can't help but uh even think of the the Belarusian people sitting there watching this happen and looking at their government going what the heck is going on now and um and that's got to be concerning okay question for you about Kiev and your capital in Ukraine because uh that's where Mikhailo is you had visitors and this is kind of uh astounding to me uh, the courage is is amazing the prime ministers of poland czech republic and Slovenia traveled on a train which i had heard by reports was seven to eight hours into kiev met with vladimir zelensky uh chatted and it is just a sign of unity and then they went they went yeah. home again um how does that look for a ukrainian
0: Oh, that's that's a very you know touching um uh, moment because this you know this shows really this shows unity and support uh you know real support basically prime ministers of of uh, uh partner countries um of, of neighboring countries uh or not necessarily if, if, if we don't neighbor slovenia um um but but again our partner countries acting basically as a human shield for you know, for, for, to to prevent further attacks and to show solidarity uh, on that scale, because you know, Kyiv is not the safest place right now, to say the least. And uh, this is this is a real, this is what matters, and this is this is the true sign of friendship and and support for Ukraine. And I wish you know many more countries did that, not necessarily traveling, you know, their heads of state traveling downtown Kyiv, but uh, showing, and not only showing but doing. Um, what is necessary to prevent further killings, to prevent lo- the large scale destruction, to prevent genocide, de facto genocide basically that's happening uh, you know, in many Ukrainian cities. The situation in you know, in in, in Mariupol especially is is is, is very um it's very bad right now. So, uh, again, I, I, I'd like to use this opportunity to call on everybody who, uh, you know, who's concerned about Ukraine, who who wants this to stop, to, to call on your government, to, to demand from your governments to provide this uh, absolutely necessary uh, weaponry for Ukraine to defend itself, Soviet-era MiGs uh, airplanes, anti-missile and anti-airplane um, systems, so we... Can protect from you know from from this destruction and from this um, from this nightmare.
1: Well, there has been uh, vast evidence that that is working when they do arrive because the carnage that some of that technology leaves behind uh, for against the the Russians has been remarkable to see. Mikhailo Zernikov is in Ukraine. Uh, Mikhailo, I do like to allow you the space to talk about something that is going well. I know that it's easy for us to. Sure. Uh, talk about the scary things I know it's easy for us to and we need to we need to help the world understand the gravity of the situation that you and your countrymen are in you're also very good one of the things you've taught me you have there's this undercurrent of positivity and I guess when you take a stand for judicial reform uh, it's got to be kind of woven deeply into your DNA to to believe in more is possible and so I thought I would just uh, ask you: Can you tell me one thing that you've seen the last couple of days since we spoke last that has really left you in awe, in a positive sense, of what's going on for your people or, or in your country?
0: Uh, sure, and thank you for that. And of course, there is a, you know not only undercurrent, but there is a, a really strong trend uh, amongst Ukrainians that. Um, um you know the, the, if you look at the sociology is just astounding uh more than 90 percent of ukrainians believe that we will win this war and this numbers ever growing um the you know the unity among people the support that that everybody is providing you know the support that our neighboring countries are providing especially poland you know and others uh, is just it's just amazing how you know to the refugees to to other people uh sending the the you know all the help here uh, you know the unity between the people, especially the neighboring countries, uh, who know, uh, of course, who show you know who show real human connection and, and who, who are doing this because they're human, but also and because they're neighbors, but also because they understand that they absolutely have to support Ukraine because they might be next. Um, you know the um, the uh, there's a lot of things that have changed already. You know in these three weeks, and uh, uh, we, we we know for sure that. We will come out of this very different. We grew, you know, several years, if not several decades, in these um, in these days because of this, you know, immediate danger and necessary necessity to uh, to fight back and to unite. Um, but also because, you know, it it, re- it really feels we skipped um, in a positive sense um, a lot of years ahead, and we we're now ready to, you know, the the, the to to become. Uh, or getting ready to become uh, the EU candidate uh, member and, and, you know, the accession to European Union and NATO, you know, the the uh, support is all-time high. And uh, also it is uh, historically, um, it is a historic opportunity to, um, um, you know, also skip years um, ahead in, uh, in the process of uh, EU accession for Ukraine. So there are things that are, um, you know, that, that are positive and that are happening. What we need now is we need to to successfully fight back to survive to, to go through this stage. You know, Russia is is losing their uh, capabilities. Uh, you know, they're, they're losing their their jets, their tanks every day. We're, we're really our our army is getting you know one of the best on the continent because it is it does successfully uh, fight against Russians that have supposedly the second um, best army in the world. So there's a lot of positive things. There's a lot of uh, things that are growing. There's a lot of things that are developing. Uh, again. Right now, what what really is at stake is is the lives of human, you know, of of, of ordinary people, of civilians that don't have to do anything um, about this war just being Ukrainian and just wanting to live and prosper and be free. Um, So. You know and at the same time sorry this is not necessarily a positive thing but you know these things are now in an inverse proportion proportion we probably talked about this before but i have to i have to mention it the number of ukrainian lives that that we will lose and the you know the the authority of things such as nato eu and other international organizations uh or or big powers in the, uh in the world that erode with each ukrainian lives uh, with, with each ukrainian life um, basically, uh, fallen the lost uh, during this war. So again, I have to call uh, to 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 all the NATO member states and to all the civilized world to 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 provide the necessary help to Ukraine because this is absolutely crucial right now.
1: Yeah, it's one of the things that we talked about earlier on my show here, Mikhailo, was about gratitude and how uh, granted gratitude is distinctly different than than resignation and complacency and all of those things, and and we actually can we actually can, you, you can have gratitude and still be not comfortable where things are. And I, actually, I one of the things are that
0: grateful, I, yes, yes, I, I, I do yeah. agree. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that you've taught me that, Mikhailo. we brought it to the show today and over the, you know, my life here and the things that have gone on in my days that, you know, you can be grateful and still expect more. And those are, those are distinctly different situations and and they, they don't, a causation of circumstance does not really affect it. Uh, gratitude is gratitude, and I hear that from you, and that's one of the lessons that you've you've shared with me. So thank you for this, and I do look forward to connecting and chatting soon. Stay safe, my friend.
0: Thank you very much, Hayne. Thank you. All the best.
1: All the best. Uh, Mikhail Zernikov is co-founder, chair of the board with uh, Desire Foundation. Uh, his background is a judge. He has a PhD in law and served as a judge. And then judicial reform is what he stands for now. And he has his work cut out for him because all the work they were doing in Ukraine beforehand, um, this accelerates things like EU, NATO, all the things that needed to be done in Ukraine uh, inside the systems and structures. Uh, that man has taken the stand uh, to take it on. And just to be clear, he cannot tell us where he calls us from uh, just because of that judicial reform scenario. So that's the magnitude that he's taken on. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time to connect over the Pacific all the way to Sir Christopher Gilbert in Tokyo.
0: Welcome to the International Dispatch from our world citizen. Live from Japan, New Zealand's Chris Gilbert.
1: All right, Chris. How are you doing, buddy? How's life in Tokyo? All good for you?
2: Yeah, I am really happy because um, the scaffolding is coming off from around my building, and I can see the sky again. Oh my god, oh, I haven't nice. seen the sky in so long. Because here, when they put scaffolding around your building, they they drape it in kind of like a black veil, mm-hmm. um, so you just have that around your building for two months, and. Um, yeah, it's good. I, I ever since I got COVID a month and a half ago, as well, I've just been snowboarding with a vengeance. So I've just been out there snowboarding every weekend. So, no, I'm doing great, Shane. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I'm things are good. You know, it's uh, the snow is almost it's all gone pretty much here and cool. Uh, just outside Calgary, it, it's it's pretty awesome. I got a text message uh, that came in specifically for you, Chris. I thought we could start Ooh. with that. Would that be all right? Of course. All right. It says. Um, I like Australia, Chris. That's how it starts. Um, actually, i sorry. We have this thing that I have to do.
2: Just drive from town to paradise and you'll see why we call Australia home.
1: Australia. Australia. The text continues. I like Australia, Chris. He is serious and funny. Ask Chris in a roundabout way to say Worcestershire sauce. Please and thanks, unknown texter.
2: Yeah, um, who is Australia Chris? Or is it, I like (laughs) Australia, comma, Chris. Like he's addressing me about how much he likes Australia. Or are you talking about a person called Australia Chris who I haven't met yet?
1: I think you are Australia Chris in this person's mind, even though you're actually New Zealand Chris.
2: You know what, Shane? After a while, you just give up. And it's like, you know what? I will be whatever you want me to be. And it's oh, like, you wow. want me to be Australia, Chris? You want me to be Madagascar, Pete? I don't care. Like, I'll I'll do it for you. I'll 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 do the whole thing. I might offend some people along the way because I don't know anything about Australia or Madagascar. Um, apart from Australia is absolutely overrun by psychotic people. And it's an inhabitable country. And it's pretty much the kitty litter box of the world. But apart from that, I don't know anything about <laughs> Australia. So... And I forget what the rest of the message is. I was uh, Worcestershire sauce. Can
1: you say Worcestershire sauce?
2: Wash the sauce.
1: <laughs> That's great. I love there it. There
2: you go. That was <laughs> single single barrel shot right there. There's no repeats.
1: No repeats. Uh, Chris, if you don't know, is from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. not from Australia. And then he That's was right. in Japan, and then he came to Canada. He's back in Japan. Now he's in Tokyo, and he's here with, the, here with us on the shift. You're taking us on a journey, are you, Chris?
2: Yeah, I am. But can I just say that I spent the greater part of my segment last time I was on ranting about New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that there's this Australian guy on the radio in Canada absolutely fixated with New Zealand for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. To the extent that he wants to rant about it for 20 minutes in the middle of the night.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: just before you You did just you call Australia
1: around... the litter box. So, kind of. Well, it get is it. the
2: litter. It's just a fact. But, like, before you go around calling people names, like Australian, think about what they're talking about and be like, maybe this guy's not from Australia. Maybe he's actually from New Zealand. Maybe, maybe. This guy he talks about New Zealand. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe you know he's what, really I... quiet
1: when he whispers.
2: <laughs> Sorry. I whisper a lot. Um, I am in Japan, so I thought we'd start with Japan. This is a story that I actually came across today. Um, I asked uh, you guys off air, yeah, maybe we could just do a, a quick round, round the table now, um, mm-hmm. about high school and about mm. any things that you had to conform to in terms of your apparel or appearance. Okay. You can go, you can go. Shane. What did you have to do in high school?
1: I went to Catholic high school. There was nothing. In fact, we were we were allowed to wear ball caps in class, which where I went to school was not an option for most of the um, public school kids, which I got a kick out of.
2: Oh, so you could wear a baseball cap. That's nice. That's, yeah. that's, but you had to wear a uniform? And what about your haircut? Nah. Or your,
1: no yeah. uniform, no haircuts, nothing. Whatever you wanted.
2: Oh, that's a nice Let's go. What about you, Brendan? Yeah, I went to Catholic school. I had the full-on uniform, like... And then there was this period where it was just like a dress shirt and dress pants type deal. But then there was this period between um, Thanksgiving and like Easter where they forced you to wear the vest as well. (laughs) Like you had to wear the vest. You would get suspended. The vest. Yeah, you would get suspended for not wearing the vest. And it was super heavy and hot. And it was just like I would sweat. And I don't even sweat that much. This was a fabric vest, right? Not some kind of chainmail or something you're talking about. Wow, it was probably like symbology for that being that it was a Catholic <laughs> school. Yeah. Yikes! What about what about Ryan O'Donnell? Uh, I went to two high schools. The first one in Ontario, we had a uniform that was very boring, uh, and then my second high school here in Calgary, the one I graduated at, there was no. There was a point where they got really strict on, like you can't have your shoulders you know, visible mm. that where they got way too strict and there was actually pushback and the school actually eventually rolled it back. The only thing I ever saw people getting trouble with was my, my best friend and my roommate who is quite a metal head or some pretty brutal t-shirts. Can't have your shoulder. You're walking around in a crop top or a tank top there, Ryan, in high school, you're rolling, rolling oh, yeah. things up and, Oh yeah. and lit, lit, have some the nice shoulders. I... I'm not afraid to yeah. let them show. Yeah, I bet. No, I, um, That's weird. I'm not. At- I'm <laughs> it's weird. I was going to roll right over that one, Shane, but thanks for highlighting it. Mm. No, I'm asking because um, <clears throat> when I went to high school in New Zealand, I went to a public school. I didn't go to Catholic school. Um, I don't know if we have Catholics in New Zealand, but I went to public school and we had to wear a uniform, right? And we could do whatever we wanted with it pretty much. Got this public school, you know, we just flipped the bird to anyone there and just, you know, we were, we were bad guys. But um, anyway, in Tokyo, in Japan, in general, things are a lot different. And uh, there are some rules here because it's a very conformal society, very collectivist society um, about how students, both male and female, but, you know, mostly looking at the girls, are meant to uh, dress and appear. Would you like to hear them?
1: Mm-hmm. I would like to hear these.
2: Uh, here in Japan, girls cannot wear ponytails. Cannot? They too, yeah, no, they are too sexual. Uh, they expose the nape of the neck. This, I'm pointing on the Zoom call, this to the nape of my neck right here. It's a very sexy zone. And uh, apparently it'll like, get the boys too excited. Uh, mm. They also um, have a regulated underwear, uh, which is meant to be white. It cannot be patterned or any other color. Boys cannot have long hair. Boys, girls cannot have pointed I guess boys by, you know, de facto can't have ponytails because they can't have long hair. And I don't know the reason for this. They can't have undercuts. So, which rules out, you know, most of, you know, like, you know, the foreigner boys in the city, they can't go to high school here in Japan because undercuts are against the rules at all high schools in Japan. And if you have non-black hair, you must dye it black and... If you are naturally curly in here, you have to provide proof that your curls are natural.
1: I don't wow! Know how do you do that?
2: Let's not go there. You do that. Wow! I don't know how you do that. So these are obviously ridiculous. Sorry, I mean, I say obviously ridiculous. Let me put like a qualifier to that: that this is not my culture. I don't know a lot about Japan. And I do not want to take my Western values and shove them in Japan's face. But it's a little bit silly. And there's a girl in Kagoshima, who, a high school girl. Kagoshima is a city on the island of Kyushu, way down the bottom west of Japan who was like, look, this is silly. Like, I just want to wear a ponytail. And uh, she brought it up at a uh, a kind of like a council meeting, like a student council meeting, um, because she felt like this is obviously also discriminatory towards, um, you know, trans and non-binary students, uh, you know, and also like the LGBTQ community, et cetera, you know. And so she got a, a, a kind of a council of minorities together at the school to kind of decide what to do about this. And they took it to the school and the school was like, no, we're not changing anything. And they were like, but why? Why won't you change anything? This is discriminatory against us. And they said, because this is Kakoshima, which is pretty much like saying this is a backwards 1950s town. But the news (laughs) here is that Tokyo, the Metropolitan School Board in Tokyo, has decided to ban the bans on the banned things. Uh, And it's kind of some kind of celebratory uh move you know like the the school board is being like oh we're so great for doing this in 2022 um they've decided you know what you can wear undercuts uh you can dye your hair you can have naturally curly hair without carrying an id on you uh you can wear any underwear you want we're not going to check your undies um and girls you know what, put their hair in a ponytail go nuts because you know that gets in your face it can be very convenient to tie it back you know it's, it's a good thing and mm-hmm. so Tokyo has decided to ban the band on, on all the band things. Um, and I think it's great because, you know what? You, you know, you can't be punk rock on the inside. You know, you got to show it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very true. That's it, weird, you know. though.
2: Uh, it, is is what, it that
1: what, what old is? there? Like, are those notions really that conservative or that old in Tokyo?
2: You know, it, it, I don't know about Tokyo. I mean, Tokyo is, is more and more an international city. Um, and Tokyo and Japan are completely different places. Um, but I, I, I'll give you an example about things that are a bit outdated, is that I have a friend who is Japanese and a New Zealander. Well, she, no, no, she's not in New Zealand. She's just Japanese, and she lives in New Zealand. She lived in New Zealand for 10 years. And she comes from a prefecture uh, near Tokyo called uh, Ishikawa, which is the, which is the mm-hmm. prefecture. And I think she lives in a small town. And she recently went home to visit her family for the first time since the pandemic started and she could not stay with her family because of the judgment that the neighbors would cast upon the family wow. get get your head around that one and as i like, and as like i don't I, I mean, I, there's so many layers. I don't understand what judgment exactly, if it's the judgment of having a foreigner stay, if it's the judgment of having somebody who's from outside the country during a pandemic and spreading COVID stay. But there are really deep layers here, That, uh, which is why I put that disclaimer at the start that I didn't want to judge anything because I don't understand a lot of it. Tokyo, however, I understand pretty well. It's a big city full of cold people. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, there's a quick answer for you, Shane.
1: Wow. Should we move on? All right. Well, that's great. All right. Take us on a yeah. tour, buddy.
2: Um, okay. Do you want to talk about the Mike Tyson edibles?
1: Sure. It's great.
2: Yeah. So Mike Tyson, who we all know and love, I guess this is taking us on a tour to uh, the USA is releasing marijuana candies as Mike Tyson, you know, can do. Uh, <clears throat> they're called Mike bites. And uh, I don't know if Mike Tyson and biting brings anything to mind. I was 10 years old when this happened in 1997. Uh, Evander Holyfield has, um, you know, one and a half years because of uh, Mike Tyson just, you know, and, or is it like the third round, the fourth round, or something? Just you know, this poof, 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 just like punching each other, and you know, Mike feels a bit pickish. He reaches around, wants to give um, wants to give Evander a bit of a hickey. He misses and takes half his ear off. And um, you know what? It's been twenty five years. Let's exploit this for profit. Um, some guy broke the law, and another guy lost an ear. And it's like, you know what? I'm gonna turn these into hilarious-shaped edible marijuana bites, uh, so you can now buy a Mike bite, which I is. Um, I feel like I'm doing not so much um, the international dispatch anymore. I feel like I'm doing it in case you missed it now. But uh, <laughs> you can you, you can go get a Mike bite, which is uh, the sh- <laughs> which is poor Evander hollyfield You know, it's just does like, he, it's he just get a cut? Air. He deserves a
1: cut, I think, right?
2: Well, I, let me have a look at this. He he is brought up. Um, uh, some fans wondered on social media whether Hollyfield, who after all unwillingly gave up a piece of his ear, was receiving any money from sales. World Boxing News reports the two boxers discussed it in a 2019 video. Oh, it's like Apple and Microsoft. You might be in business, but uh, uh, who's talking here? Oh, Tyson said this. You might be in business because we're going to make some holy ears. Uh, Tyson reportedly said, "Some edibles of your ear that got a bite taken out of them." Holyfield reportedly responded, well, I could do that. Um, uh, I don't know, it doesn't confirm in this story whether Holyfield receives any money from this at all, but I assume it's America. For legal reasons, he must be getting um, a chunk, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> Actually, you know what pun intended of this? Well done. I love Thank it. you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> nice nice thanks brendan uh grand forks um i have i guess that's in north dakota because i'm looking at the north dakota news uh grand forks north dakota this is a short and sweet one but you know what i like it uh pastor urges those responsible uh to please remove the giant k k from his front lawn wow. um it's There's a picture here of a very happy, nice-looking man, um, maybe a bit simple with a goatee, uh, with it sitting in front of a a Kmart uh, K, taken from a store. Um, Grand Forks, a front yard display outside the home of uh, Hope Church Pastor Paul Knight. Uh, It's a bit unconventional. Uh, Someone put up a giant Kmart sign on his front lawn. It's believed to be from the former Kmart building. on, um, We don't care where it is uh passed the night saw it on wednesday morning after swinging near his house what does that mean swinging was he was he swinging Pastor the night the second, night saw it on wednesday morning after swinging near his house question has anyone ever swung near their house before
1: i've heard rumors that if you leave your garage door a little bit open that yeah. means you can that means you're a swinger Or if you leave a hedgehog on the front step or something
2: Yeah, if you leave a a fishbowl outside with the car keys in it, that's a pretty good indication as well. Since then, uh, people have been coming to his South End home to take selfies in front of the giant Kmart sign because that's how bored people are in Grand Forks, North Dakota. He has no clue who planted it. This is a very strange article. You don't plant a K. You put it there. But says he suspects it was done by somebody in his church. And this is my favorite bit. I don't know who to call because I don't know who cast it, he says. So he swung near his house, it was planted, and now it's been cast. So I'm making a general announcement. Those who are responsible for this, you're welcome to come remove it any time. And then he says, you're, my wife hopes it's gone by June, I guess. June. He's making an announcement in March, and he's like, Please come remove it. You've please come and do it in June, I guess. Dude, have some urgency. Like, <laughs> I,
1: like, no, just dude, just, just move the K, I, man. Just move it.
2: I, exactly. Like, why can't you just get like uh like a rent equipment or like just some like like there's a story I didn't do today about Rod Stewart, global hero. Who is sick of potholes outside his house because it ruins the tires in his Ferrari or something? And so he just got a bunch of his mates together in quotation fingers because they're definitely paid, and just to fill in the potholes. And there's a couple of like videos of him just being like, "Oh, I'm sick of these potholes, isn't it?" And he's just like, just like pushing some gravel around with his foot. Rob Stewart did that, and he's like 500 years old. What's this guy's excuse? Just "Get rid of the K." Honestly, or make it someone else's problem. That's the American way. Call a lawyer or the cops.
1: Yeah, or move it to your neighbors.
2: Yeah, let's push it over 100 yards. (laughs) I mean, someone else did it.
1: (laughs) It's so weird. I love it. So Christopher Gilbert, live from Tokyo, the International Dispatch. He's got other radio stations and media things to do. So you got to go. Thanks for being here, buddy.
2: Thanks for having me. Talk again next
1: week.